Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we meet the new manager of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, Logan Watkins, and also Derek Taylor will join us to share his CFL awards ballot. That's all coming up on the podcast. Speaking of baseball, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes have made a change at manager, hiring Logan Watkins to take over for Greg Tanker. Services were not retained after a 43 and 57 season. That is a 430 win percentage. That's the second lowest in franchise history. Watkins, a 34-year-old, yes, 34 years old, managed the Claiborne Railroaders the past two seasons, guiding them to a postseason berth in both years. And I caught up with Logan from his home in Wichita earlier today. How did this come about that you would become the manager of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes? Um, yeah, so I had uh, I had three really good years with Cleburne. Um, got really uh, close with the ownership down there. And uh, this past year, the, the owner uh, sold the team to new ownership. And um, the new ownership uh, obviously let finished the season. And uh, at the end of the season, they let me and the rest of the coaching staff know that they were going to bring in their own guys, which, I mean, it's professional sports. It happens all the time. It's completely understandable. Um, so a little disappointing because I felt like we were building on something there. But um, uh, the previous owner, John Junker, I want to give, uh, give him a shout-out for uh, he kind of – checked around for me because I, I think he was a little bit disappointed that they let me go. And I think he contacted uh, Sam with Winnipeg and Sam and me exchanged some phone calls um, this past month or so. And uh, thankfully uh, we had mutual interest and uh, he offered me the job and I'm really fortunate that he did. When did you know that you wanted to become a manager in baseball? I don't, I don't really know if I, uh, if I ever had a, a moment, I think uh, I played the game professionally since 2008 um, to 2020. Ended up retiring uh, due to the COVID season, canceling the season. Ended up getting into coaching, but I think it's more so I just wanted to stay in professional baseball. I feel like uh, that's all I've known since high school. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of got the opportunity to manage, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. And, um I'm still obviously young in my managerial career, but uh, I feel like, you know, the opportunity to manage in Cleburne and now Winnipeg, uh, I'm very fortunate that these opportunities have uh, presented themselves. Now you uh, you played in Winnipeg during your career in the American Association. What are your memories of playing at Shaw Park as an opponent? Um, yeah, first of all, every time I've been there, uh, what sticks out is you, uh, there's been great fans. The The experience has always been good as far as uh, fans and the atmosphere. The stadium's great. Um, when I was a player there, I remember uh, I remember having a good series, um, but I think there was one game where I think we may have scored like 20 runs on like 24 hits. I don't, it's probably maybe not that much, but I think I was like 0 for 6 that day and pretty, <laughs> pretty frustrated, but I wasn't uh, – I wasn't having as much fun as my teammates were that day, but I think I had a good game the next day to make up for it. But yeah, that's one thing I definitely remember. Now you're from Wichita. What's was baseball always been the sport for you growing up? Uh, no, I, I, um, I played every sport growing up, but in high school I played uh, quarterback on the football team. Um, and I played baseball, obviously, uh, so my dream growing up was to either play baseball at Wichita State or play football at Oklahoma. And I 
uh, was fortunate enough, I ended up signing uh, to play baseball at Wichita State and then ultimately got drafted by the Cubs out of high school, so never got to play at Wichita State. But, uh, but that was obviously something I was really looking forward to doing. So you got a good arm is what you're saying. I used to. It hurts oh. a lot now nowadays. <laughs> okay. Uh, so did you, do you need surgery or is this something you just, you know, you've thrown enough balls that, you know, you don't need to do it anymore? Oh, it's just old age. And you play baseball, you know, every day you play baseball for uh, professionally for 15 years or not 15, 12, 11 years. Uh, and then you stop throwing for a while and now your arms just kind of stiffened up. Do you miss playing or are you happy where you are? Oh, I miss playing. I miss aspects of playing. Um, a big, I mean, a big factor of retiring from playing was uh, I just had my first kid and I was playing uh, in Mexico. And so, um, you know, not having, not being around my, my wife and kid uh, um, was definitely going to be difficult. And then obviously COVID canceled the season and gave me a lot of time at home to think about what was next and ended up getting a coaching job. So do you get to see them more now that you're coaching or how, how does that work? Well, yeah, I mean, the biggest difference is I, I wasn't going to be in Mexico anymore. So um, it's just obviously a better situation. Uh, I have two kids now, but, but wife and kids, uh, you know, getting to Mexico and finding a place for them to be comfortable in Mexico, just it's going to be kind of difficult and stressful. So I think uh, obviously coaching in the States or now in Winnipeg, um, that's a little bit more of a manageable situation. So you did get to play a little bit in the major leagues with the Chicago Cubs. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was incredible. Um, got I got to the big leagues, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say fairly quickly because I was drafted. Obviously, I was 18 when I signed. Um, got to the big leagues by the time I was 23, went every single level all the way up with the Cubs. So it was an it was special for me that I, I made my debut with the team that drafted me. Um, I wanted, I think it was always kind of in the back of my mind that I wanted to, uh, whatever scout decided or whatever, whoever it was that decided to draft me, I wanted to prove them right. So um, just getting to the big leagues, I, I was hoping that that would, uh, that would kind of satisfy that for me. Um, and then obviously I was in the big leagues in 13 and 14, um, a lot of great memories. Um Ended up tearing my Achilles in 2015 in spring training and missing the entire season, and then came back uh, and played AAA uh, with the Cubs in 2016 when they won the World Series. So, um, kind of kind of bittersweet that I was obviously able to come back and you know play in AAA, but I, I missed that World Series ring. That was pretty a monumental moment in, in baseball history when the Cubs finally won it. Were you rooting for them though? Oh yeah, I mean I a lot of you know, former teammates and friends on the team. So definitely, I mean, I, I was in AAA too, and so I knew that they had a good chance of winning it that year. I had a pretty good year in AAA. I, I thought maybe there was an outside chance I could get called up in September. Um, they ended up only calling up uh, Munanori Kawasaki that year. He was the only guy that went up. And uh, fortunate for him, he got a World Series ring. Do you feel like some regret over that, or are you fine with it? Oh, I mean, you can, it's hard to regret, you know, suffering uh, an injury like an Achilles. I mean, there's nothing I could do. Um, I was fortunate that the Cubs brought me back after my injury, though, and gave me, you know, another opportunity to play in AAA. Um, I think 
I only have good things to say about the Cubs organization. And, you know, they, they made, they gave me a chance to play in the big leagues. There's, there's definitely no bitterness towards them or uh, anything that happened in my career. It's hard to, it's hard to regret anything. So you hit one major league home run. Do you remember the pitch that you hit the home run for? What, how vivid is the memory of that day? Uh, it's pretty vivid. Uh, it was off Justin Masterson. Um, he just threw a sinker right down the middle. I ambushed. I was leading off the inning. I ambushed it first pitch of the inning, hit it out uh, into the bullpen in St. Louis. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember for sure. I had a good day that day. I think I had two, two or three hits. Yeah, it looks like it was uh, part one of a doubleheader. You went two for three with a couple runs and uh, and the home run. I, I reckon you don't have the ball. Uh, I think they got it back for okay. me. I had my first hit. I got my first hit somewhere around here. I think I got the home run ball. I'm not, I'm not certain. The first hit was more important to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because you know, home run. If it's hit out, you know, someone has it in the stands. They might, you might never see it again. Right. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Okay. Uh, so, how would you describe yourself as a manager? I think most of my my former players will tell you that I'm I'm really laid back. Uh, best way to maybe describe my mentality as far as managing and as far as um, working in independent baseball is like, I'd say I'm a very aggressive as far as uh, player acquisition and building a roster. I think, uh, you know, I don't take days off doing that. I, I am constantly searching, constantly building relationships uh, to get the right guys in that clubhouse. And then, um, and then one, the time the season comes, I feel like it's time to just let them play. If you feel like you got the right guys in place, I feel like it's 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 almost incumbent of you as a manager to get out of their way a little bit and just let them play baseball and, and let them do what you brought them there to do. So, um, obviously, managing a game, there's a lot of decision-making going on and stuff like that, but just as far as my relationship to players and you know the atmosphere I keep in my clubhouse. I like I like it to be laid back, and I want those guys to want to come to the ballpark every day. Because I'm sure fans will look at your age and say, "Well, 34 years old, like that." You're there's going to be players that are almost your age. How does your your youthfulness and recent time as a player impact your job as a manager? Yeah, I think I had two players last year that were older than me on my team in Cleveland. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean. Obviously, being 34 years old, there's, um, I guess if someone were to say they were concerned about experience, I mean, maybe that's valid, but I've been in professional baseball now for, this would be my 15th or 16th season um, as a player and now coach. Um, and I think if, if you're looking for the, the positives, I, I, I understand players. I, I'm recently removed from, from playing, and so I understand players, I understand kind of what they go through mentally these days and kind of what uh, I think I can relate well to them and get the most out of them. I think, you know, like I, I, I take the relationship building side of, of this job very serious. And I think that that's how you get guys to play the game hard and play it the right way. Um, so uh, yeah, obviously I, I am super confident in myself and what I bring to the table. Um, hopefully, uh, the fan base in Winnipeg uh, is excited and understands that they're getting a manager that um, is going to come to work every day and you know is is more than is more than motivated to meet the expectations that I know that they have. We'll get you out of here on this. Do you think Texas finishes it off tonight? 
Uh, I think they do. I, I was actually kind of pulling for Arizona. I know the people I, I've made relationships with down in Cleburne probably aren't happy with that, but uh, Arizona kind of being such a Cinderella story and nobody, you know, thinking that they'd be in this position, I was kind of hoping they'd finish it off, but I think Texas is probably the better team. And um, either way, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Oh, Logan, appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for this. Congrats again on the gig, and we'll uh, talk to you in the spring. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Logan Watkins, the new manager of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. We'll take a break from a manager getting hired to a coach getting fired. Who was the first head coach fired in the National Football League this season, in case you missed it overnight? Because I woke up to the news. We'll tell you who got the slip next. Canadian Football League shared its award finalists today. We went over that earlier in the show as we welcome in one of the men responsible for putting it together, Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Derek, first of all, how does the voting work? What? How does it work? When does it happen? Just take us through the process as a voter. Bombers round of voting in which media and the, and the team get a vote as to who will represent them in each of the award categories. Those ones were handed in on the Saturday before the final week of games. Uh, so then there was the West nominees where you pick your West All-Stars and you pick your West Award nominees. Those ones were done last, I believe the deadline was, was it last Sunday by 4 p.m. our time. And we just now got the ballots for uh, league uh, award nominees, MOP, defensive player and stuff. Those ones are due before the kickoff of the East semifinal coming up on Saturday. So yeah, there's a certain number of media and T and uh, club members that, that vote each year. I believe, I believe it's six of us in total here in Winnipeg. So every market's kind of evenly represented. Uh, I, I believe that's the goal. There are some markets where I, I've never looked into this, but when you hear some of the other media talking who know way better, when I hear Ted Wyman talking, it sounds like it can be tough to find the right number of voters in other markets. Like, how many people cover the Toronto Argos on a daily basis versus the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? That can be hard. Uh, but yeah, they, I, I assume they try to make it pretty even to make sure the East and West are equally represented. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. The award, no, the award nominees we saw today, how many of them were on your ballot? One, two, three, four, five. Five of the seven were on my ballot. Okay, so you just get to vote in the West, to be clear. Yeah, yeah, correct. I used to have a national vote, but now, uh, you know, being the voice of the Bombers, it's now just the Bombers and then the West and then the overall CFL. Okay, but, gotcha. Okay, yeah, five so, of the seven big awards were the guys that I voted for. Okay, so we have to know who were the ones you did not. So I did not have Brady Oliveira as top Canadian. Oh, I had him as I had him as top Canadian, and I was talking to a fellow voter, and he said, "Well, your vote doesn't make any sense. How can he not?" And my counter to him was, well, he's not competing against the same guys for that award. So uh, I thought if you want, if you go most outstanding, and I really tried to focus on the outstanding part uh, when it was Brady or uh, say Vernon Adams were the two competitors for me in that one. Uh, Brady was more outstanding this season. Vernon, Vernon's numbers were fantastic, uh, but uh, Brady was more outstanding. When it came to most outstanding Canadian, for me, it was Brady Oliveira. And then the guy I voted for was Matthew Betts. And I looked at this. I'm like, Betts had 18 sacks this season. No one has done that 
since uh, John Bowman, in, I believe it was 2015 when John Bowman had 19 sacks. And then in my own charting, I'm I'm super far behind in my own charting, but I looked at that and went, oh, actually, I have him with 20, and there's probably more in here. And mm, this thing about him not being good against the run, while BC overall is pretty good against the run, uh, if I have to go with outstanding, I mean, he had a season uh, like Charleston Hughes in his prime level season. So uh, I had to go with Matthew Betts as top Canadian, even though uh, I went Brady Oliveira as the most outstanding player of the whole league. Okay. And Matthew Betts, you had him as defensive player then too. Correct. Okay. You had your Marcus Hardrick as top offensive lineman. I did. I had Hardrick as top offensive lineman. I'm I'm leading the bus, uh, leading the train on Sean White yes, as a special are. teams player. Uh, Kai Gray to me was the only real, only real candidate I could have seen folks voting for for rookie of the year. A guy who started all 18 games on defense versus what was a couple special teams players. Uh, pardon me, a couple of punters, a special teams player in BC, and then forgive me, I forget who uh, who Calgary would have nominated a guy. I suspect a guy who didn't play very much, but then it came down to coach of the year. And that's where uh-huh. it, it was. Mike O'Shea and Ryan Dinwiddie were the ones. And I'm like, man, there are, those are the two guys with the best records, right? 14 and four for O'Shea and 16 and two for Dinwiddie. But when I approached this season in the West, I ended up voting for Rick Campbell. Let's just put that out there. Okay. Because when I approached this season, I thought, man, BC is in trouble because Nathan Rourke was everything last season. I I had BC falling down substantially. And when they get off to this hot start, I'm like, well, this is pretty good. And yes, I, they faltered at the end. But for me to squeeze a 12-win season out of that team with injury troubles that they had and the downgrade at quarterback, for what should have been a downgrade at quarterback from Nathan Rourke, who was all-world, to Vernon Adams, who was still very, very good, versus I thought, I thought that the Bombers operated under almost optimal conditions this season. They had very few, you know, long-term injuries to deal with once Kyrie Wilson got back into the lineup. I went, mm, okay, 14 wins is super good, but I I really didn't think BC was going to be good at all this season. So as I slice up the pie of who gets the credit for that, I had to give a bunch of it to Rick Campbell as the head coach there. Fair enough, fair enough. And the, the fact that we're with, it's O'Shea versus Dinwiddie for the third straight year. Uh, is interesting because the you know the two best teams year after year it seems and they might get to duke it out on the field in Hamilton in a couple of weeks. Are you allowed to talk about who you think's going to win the awards because you have a vote? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure cuz okay. uh I've I've made my pick on one of them, but the other six I'm still kind of up in the air about who I'm going to go for. Okay. So yeah, fi- fire away. Cuz we've been talking all year about how Chad Kelly's probably going to win most outstanding player. He's been the betting favorite for most of the year. And the narrative part of it of he's first year 15 and one as a quarterback starting games this year. I I know that if you go down to the numbers, Zach Kolaris probably has better numbers in a lot of categories compared to Kelly, who he's not going up against for this award. But I I just feel like that it, it feels like it's Kelly's. It has been all year, right? Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, 15 and one, like you say, and the one game that he, you know, in quarterback wins, he wouldn't get credit for. He, got he left early on yeah. right against Calgary. So as, as Mike Hogan, the PR guy for Toronto puts out in games in which he started and played a half, they're 15 and oh, like, yeah, that's, that is true. Um, his touchdown numbers aren't spectacular, 
Uh, he added in eight rushing touchdowns. Six of those were quarterback sneaks, though. So I'm a guy who I, I don't care about quarterback sneak touchdowns. To me, they, they just don't. I, I'm not going to count them for anything because backups have 16 touchdowns in a year, and I'm not super impressed about one-yard dives versus actual quarterbacks who can who can run. Kelly has a couple that were you know scrambles, so uh, good with that. He led the. I mean, he also doesn't get credit for passing touchdowns when the running back pounds it in, and he I believe he led the most touchdown drives in the league this year, if not right behind Zach Kalaris. Ten and a half yards per attempt is is the number that I keep focusing on with Chad Kelly. That is an incredible number. Uh, Zach Kalaris this year, I think he finished at 10.1. And 10.5 is like Nathan Rourke before he got injured. And, you know, think of your favorite quarterback in CFL history uh, if you're my age or younger. And that guy never got close to 10 and a half yards per attempt. Uh, Kelly in that offense was phenomenal. So he's got, I mean, he he deserves to be the betting favorite. He's deserved it for a long, long time. And that 16 and two record that the Argos finish with, that's going to be very tough for, for Brady Oliveira to overcome in the MOP race. And for those curious, the top 12 uh, players by rushing touchdowns this season are by as follows running back, quarterback, running back, quarterback, 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 running back, quarterback, 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 quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, so I I can't ta- I I just can't take rushing touchdowns seriously. And sometimes, oh, he set the record with sixteen rushing touchdowns. Yeah, they were for a combined twenty yards. So let's just calm let's just calm down a little bit. But those are touchdown drives that a quarterback that the quarterback orchestrated, right? Yeah. So uh, when Caleb Evans was crushing it last year at Montreal, uh, you know, you would have given some of that credit to Vernon Adams, and you would have given the rest of the credit to Trevor Harris when he took over. So yeah, it's. Chad Kelly, for me, you know, for every Cameron Dukes touchdown or every Chad Kelly, I'm not impressed by the rushing number, but the fact that he led that drive would be what counts for me. Kelly and Dukes each had eight rushing touchdowns on the year, by the way. So you've got uh, Chad Kelly probably winning that award. I, I don't I, I would think Dinwiddie's probably going to win coach of the year as well. 16 and two. It's only been done once in the history of the league. And O'Shea's That's, won the last two years. Yeah, like I, I think if folks go Dinwiddie, I, I can't blame them at all because Honestly, uh, I think you and I might have talked about this. I, I took a wager early in the season. I got incredible odds on it, and that's why I took it. But I had Toronto uh, at seven to one to win four to six games this year. Oops! Just because I thought, "Ooh, what if this Kelly guy is like a lot of other young quarterbacks that come into the league, and uh, they improve five wins over last year?" That's that is nothing to sneeze at. So uh, Dinwiddie's got to be a, a big favorite for that with the only once before ever achieved record in the 18 game season. Matthew Betts for defensive player. I, I would, I would certainly lean that way. I want to dive in more into a Darius Pickett because that guy's are, that guy's a monster and 97 tackles is just kind of scratching the surface of, of what a Darius Pickett is. Um, again, 20 plus sacks for Matthew Betts by my charting is going to be very tough to overcome though. I think Oliveira isn't going to win outstanding player. I think he's going to win outstanding Canadian though. I think so because trying to decipher Mark Antoine Decois season is going to be tougher. I, if I'm not mistaken, PFF had Decois as their top, top graded player. I think league wide, like entire mm. league, all positions. Uh, but I don't think that in year one for PFF, I don't know if that has the traction that it will. And I mean, Running back is a glory position, right? We see him carry the ball 235 times, and we saw the touchdowns, and we saw the big run. We saw the 30-plus yard runs, and we saw the overtime touchdown against BC, and you go, 
that's going to be hard to overcome. And Montreal is going to get Montreal is going to get smacked for well, they didn't beat anybody above them in the standings, even though they finished eleven and seven. So I, I'm I'm with you, and I think that's Brady. But uh, Mark Antoine Decroix is a guy I need to look at closely too. Offensive lineman, how do you pick? <sighs> that's a that's a great question. You both both guys are tackles, so that's a good start. Uh, Dejon Allen's a left tackle. Jamarcus is a right tackle. Uh, gosh, the Bombers were number two in uh, yards per rush this season, behind only Edmonton. Toronto was a little further back. Toronto, I think, only allowed 14 sacks of Chad Kelly. So I think as we get down to it, it'll end up being Dejon Allen. But uh, yeah, Jamarcus Hardrick, I, I think, is still very worthy in that. But yeah, I'm going to need to. That's a, that's another one that I'll dive into more. I know you're leading the charge for Sean White, but Javon Leak had a great uh, season returning punts. He, he had a great season returning punts. And I think I think it's good that you phrase it that way. 15 yards per attempt. Uh, per punt return is a fantastic number. Uh, Devon dead Devonte Deadman was better in 2021 at 15.4, but 15 is a number that's rarely hit and four return touchdowns on punts is one behind the le- the uh, league record. So yeah, a, a great season from him. He wasn't good on kickoff returns uh, at all. I think he ended up being eighth in the league in kickoff return average, but it's tough to sneeze at four touchdowns, but Sean White's kicking season, and it was only, as I'm being reminded on Twitter, well, it was only place kicking. Yes, it was, but it was five points better than anything, you know, adjusted for field position and adjusted for situation. It was five points better than Justin Medlock's best season. What what White did, the gap between him at number one and number two on a per kick basis is equal to the gap of two, number two and number 12 all time. Like he is... He was so far above the second best kicking season that we've seen in the last 20 years that uh, it, it's got to be. I mean, for me, it's got to be white kickoff punt returns are sexy, though. So I'm not convinced that I'm going to be that my vote's going to be on the winning side of that one. And finally, before uh, I let you go this weekend, we've got the division semifinals. You've got Montreal hosting Hamilton. You've got Calgary at BC. The literally the standings finished in the exact same order as last year, which is fun. What do you see happening this weekend? Do you see chalk or do you see a road team getting it done? The, I, I think the West is chalk uh, as much as Calgary mopped up BC a couple weeks ago. Calgary looked rough, rough against the Bombers. So uh, that one seems chalk. Hamilton, I give, uh, I give a, a fighting chance, like 55-45, maybe even 53-47. Hamilton, I, I think, has got some juice in it. They, they were... Their record is held down by the fact they were kind of nicked early in the season. Uh, but Hamilton, these last few weeks, I my eye's been drawn to them. So uh, I give them a fighting chance. All right, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. Derek Taylor, appreciate your time. Thanks for the transparency. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. West Final is next Saturday. The Bombers return to practice, by the way, closed practice tomorrow. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but